Father, would you keep us awake until we, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, see you face to face. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as Father Zach's already said, uh, Happy New Year. That was semi-pathetic. Let's try it again. Happy New Year. Year. Oh, praise the Lord. There it is. Amen. If you're new to Anglicanism, new to the church calendar, this is it. This is the beginning of the church calendar, the liturgical year. This is the first Sunday in Advent. We begin now to follow loosely the life of our Lord Jesus Christ from here until Pentecost, which we know most of the events, by the way, in the church calendar have already happened, right? We're following the life of our Lord, and we move up through Pentecost, which is usually around the end of May, and then from May until really Christ the King Sunday, which is in November, which we just had last Sunday, we have times of teachings. It's called Ordinary Time, but today begins the new year. I want to pause for a moment and say that it's this Sunday, more than any other Sunday throughout the church calendar, that we are witness to something that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. What is Advent in general? Well, the season of Advent deals with the arrival, the Adventus in Latin, the coming or the arrival of a king. Advent is not um, mini Christmas. Were any of you all thinking about like Santa Claus where you're praying the the great litany? It's pretty tough to do, right? It's not mini Christmas season. It's actually a season where we dedicate the scripture readings and the preaching of God's word towards the two advents, the two comings of Jesus. But we don't begin with his incarnation. That's, that's Christmas. Advent moves there, even though historically it didn't. It wasn't until the medieval ages that Advent was kind of married with the incarnation and Christmas. It was always a time of of, of, peniten- of penitence. It was a penitential season, and you all, hopefully we felt that this morning. But we begin at the end this morning. We begin with Jesus Christ coming back in great glory and power to judge the world. And the Scriptures teach us that there are two judgments, that there is first a judgment that we all undertake. Now our passage here um, deals with kind of the general judgment. There is a specific judgment that every one of us will actually have to face God and give an account, give an account of our lives. The good news for us as Christians, the gospel is that we have been found in Jesus Christ through faith and our baptism, that at the end of the day, when we have to confess all of our sins and give an account of our lives, at the end, in the final general judgment, we are judged as being in Christ and therefore allowed to have everlasting bliss in the new heaven and the new earth. Let's all say amen. That was a, amen. Amen to that. But here's the thing. We begin this Sunday at the end, at the one thing in the church calendar, the church year that hasn't happened yet, that we are anticipating, that we are looking forward to, and that is our meeting of Jesus Christ when he returns. Now, my sermon could be, um, the thesis of my sermon could be given, I guess, in, in two words. Stay awake. Look, I'm as tired as you, all right? Look, I was standing up watching the games too, so stay awake for my sermon. That's the point. 
Stay awake. Before we get into Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 13, I want to say a few words of introduction. The devil in the world, in your own sin, in the sins of others against you, is trying to get you to fall asleep to the realities of God. Would you agree with this? Do you agree with this? So it's, it's a matter of staying awake versus being asleep. I mean, our Lord ends that section of Mark 13 to his disciples saying, stay awake. I remember when I was uh, young and my dad really wanted to turn me into like a, like a hunter. And I hunt occasionally. I'm not like an, an avid hunter. But I remember uh, sitting in the deer stand when I was young with him. Has anyone ever hunted deer before? Let's show up. Okay, a few of you. It is really hard for a young man to stay awake in a deer stand. Has anyone else ever fallen asleep in a deer stand? Uh, a few of you that will at least admit it. It's hard to stay awake because when you're younger, and I was immature, you're sitting in the stand, it's, at least in Oklahoma, it's free, it never gets cold here, by the way. It's freezing cold in Oklahoma in November. You're freezing cold. You're waiting for that huge monster buck or that nice doe that you're going to take out to be able to eat and have deer chili later on, you know, in the year with. But you're waiting, but when you're immature, your mind isn't actually actively thinking about the sounds and the movements. You're not involved. You're actually just kind of there, and it's cold, and you begin to be kind of lulled to sleep. You want to be warm, and I would often fall asleep, and my dad would be nudging me because if I actually fell asleep, I would fall out of the deer stand, and he didn't, didn't want that. But it's easy to be lulled to sleep in this life. Jesus says, stay awake. If you go back into the Old Testament, and you can just read through it um, this week, read through the whole thing this week. No, read through the Old Testament, read through the Psalms. Sleep is never something that's like commended. It's like, hey, we should all fall asleep. Sleep is never seen as a good thing. Now, I know as a parent of four children, I do love, I love a good nap, I love sleep. But in Scripture, sleep is always associated with what? With death. With death, when you fall asleep, when, when um, the, the kings of Israel were buried, they fell asleep and they were buried with their fathers. It was always death. It was a negative thing. That when you are awake, there is there's life. Well, back to our cultural moment uh, just for a second here. I want to warn you and remind you, before we get into Mark 13, the devil in the world is trying to lull you to sleep about the realities of God. Namely, that Jesus himself will return, maybe in your lifetime, maybe not, but to judge the living and the dead. Everyone. And what it means to stay awake is to have vitality, movement, to be thinking about the things of God as it relates to your life and to your existence and to your day-to-day uh, week, your, your, the, every hour, every minute, to just be contextualizing your life according to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and his commands on us. And I'm going to end this sermon with some practical ways to do that. But back to the deer stand uh, metaphor for a moment. My dad was really good at not falling asleep, namely because he always wanted that 12-point buck on the wall or 14-point buck. He never got it. But he was good at staying awake because he would listen to sounds. He would hear the sounds, and his eyes would move. Mayo, you're a deer hunter, aren't you? Now, do you bow hunt or you gun or what are you? You're the, yeah, rifle. A good hunter is, a, is attuned to what's going on, hears the noises, listens for things, sees things off in the distance and will turn and look in focus. They're not asleep, they're awake and they're listening. 
And that is our call to stay awake. Now, in Mark 13, our passage, it's a long chapter of Scripture, and I encourage you maybe this week to read the entire chapter. We didn't get the whole chapter this morning. We got verses 24 to the end. But Mark 13, in that, Jesus is doing two things. Two, like, wild and crazy prophecies are in Mark 13. One of them is the destruction of the Jewish temple. It's in there. And that actually happened, by the way. You, those of you that love history and, and these things, Jesus, right around A.D. 32 or 33 before his death, predicted the destruction of the temple in Mark 13. He predicted it. And it happened. And I want you to a moment, for a moment to imagine that you were a follower of Jesus the Messiah in A.D. 70, or even just a Jew who was devout to Yahweh but hadn't received Jesus as Messiah um, uh, yet, to see that temple destroyed was cataclysmic to your reality. I, I mean, the closest thing that I can think of in my life uh, was first the, the Murrah bombing in, um, in April of 1995 in Oklahoma City. I remember being a young kid... I mean, if you would have asked me, like, is the sky falling? Is the heaven? I would have been like, I don't know. This is, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. 9-11, the same thing. Like, this sense of how could this happen? This is, what, this is what it was like for the followers of Jesus and for the Jewish people to see that temple destroyed. And how many of you have been to Jerusalem? A few of you? Okay, you've seen some of the stones on the second temple because none of those stones from the first temple are still there. It's stones, a few stones from the second temple. That was the temple that... Uh, that was there when Jesus was prophesying. They are humongous. The Jewish author and um, historian Josephus, okay, uh, living in the first century, what Josephus described about the temple is that these humongous stones, were, they were plated in gold. It was huge. You could see it from, you could see the temple on the Temple Mount from miles away. It was glorious. It was wonderful. It was, it was large and amazing. In the inside of the temple... The cosmos was painted beautifully on the inside, which gives some meaning to this. Jesus saying, when I return, the heavens and the earth, the stars are going to fall, the moon's going to be blotted out. Not only is that a literal thing, but also when that temple was destroyed, literal, the stars, the heaven, the cosmos, and the temple was all destroyed. Boom. Kaput. Earth-shattering worldview. Jesus predicts that. But, beloved, he goes on in our section also both to continue this prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, but also to prophesy his return and the coming of the Son of Man as judge. And we forget this as believers. I forget it. Because here's what makes the gospel beautiful. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead, and you and I have hope in the midst of that judgment, don't we? We have hope, but he is coming to judge. His second advent his second return. We begin there this morning in Mark 13. Let me read just a bit from Mark 13. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Mark 13, to our section. I want to begin at verse 32 at the end. This entire chapter, Jesus has predicted both the destruction of the temple, which would take place about 40 years or so after his, after his predicting it, He's also saying the Son of Man is coming back at the end of all things. And these, these metaphors and things, they're all kind of mixed in there. It's not very uh, tidy and nice. They're both mixed in here. But Jesus makes a point 
after his teaching at the beginning of Mark 13 that, hey, here are the signs of the end of all things, both the destruction of the temple and my coming. He says it's going to be like a woman who's in labor. These labor pains start, but you're not going to know fully when that child will arrive. He's saying the labor pains are starting now. You're going to see it with the destruction of the temple. You're going to finally see it, all of us will, at the end of the age when the Son of Man returns. But then he gets to what is so important here at the end of Mark 13, beginning in verse 32. He says this. So if you can follow along, great. If not, just listen. But concerning that day or that hour, and I think here it's both the destruction of the temple, but even more so his second return. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. One way that we get lulled to sleep as devout Christians, I would say, in this life, is we are constantly listening to people tell us when the end of the world is going to take place. I mean, have you ever heard anyone in your life ever, like, say that? Like, I, I think I know, or, or I, I know somebody who knows somebody. It's like, oh, you got, so you know somebody who knows somebody. Well, here's what I like to say. In our, um, in our kind of humor at, at the audaciousness to predict when God is, or Christ is coming back, we shouldn't let that turn to resentment or to, to sin against that person who's predicting it. We should simply say, but if Jesus Christ himself, the Son of Man, doesn't know when he's returning, how do you know? How do you know? That's a way, though, that we can be lulled to sleep. Not staying awake, being doers of the Word of God in this life, but hearers only who are listening to the prophecies about this, that, and the other. No, the Son of Man doesn't even know when he will return to judge the living and the dead. See, the disciples wanted the exact signs. They wanted the moment. They wanted to be able to predict it, to know. But no, our Lord will be coming like a thief in the night. He'll be coming in an hour in which you, we do not expect. And here's the crazy thing about that. It's a twofold thing. You and I don't know when we're going to die, when we're going to meet him face to face as the judge. We also don't know if we're going to be alive on this earth when he returns to judge the living and the dead. We're ignorant on a lot of accounts. Though in Mark 13, he gives us some things. There will be wars, there will be rumors of wars. He gives some general guidelines to this to help us what? Stay awake. Not to predict, but to stay awake. Verse 33, follow with me. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. I remember when, when we were young, we lived in a trailer house out in uh, rural Oklahoma, out in the middle of, of nowhere. Um, the Miltons, I think, are the only people that have been to, to my parents' house, that we built a house. We lived in a trailer house for about seven years. They built the house. It, I mean, it's close to the middle of nowhere. Would you, I'm not, okay, yeah, close to the middle of nowhere. Very much so. Just very, yes, I'm a country boy from back there. But I remember our, my parents would leave us, my sister and I, with tasks to do when they would run to the grocery store, to run to the nearest town about 30 minutes or so away to go to Walmart to do these things. And one of my tasks was to vacuum the floor. Now, um, th to show how, like, lazy and ignorant I was, I was lazy and ignorant at the same time, rather than running the vacuum, I would just kind of take it 
And on some of the open areas in that trailer house, remember a trailer house is like a straight line, by the way. It's not like a ton of space to vacuum. I would just take the vacuum like in the living room and I would just push it without turning it on to make some lines, right? <laughs> and then I would, yeah, do my thing. <laughs> but the thing is, I didn't know when the, when the masters of the house, my father and mother were going to return. And, and I remember um, my sister and I, uh, she was, was doing nothing and I was doing something worse than nothing. That's doing something, but that made no difference whatsoever. She was doing nothing, not unloading the dishwasher. I was pushing the back. And our parents arrived. And usually you could see them out the front door going down this long driveway, but I wasn't paying attention. I don't know what I was doing. Stephanie wasn't paying attention. And there my parents arrived, caught us completely unaware. Completely unaware. Now, beloved, we don't want to be caught asleep if our Lord comes back here on earth tomorrow to judge the living and the dead, we also don't want our own death to catch us off guard as well. We want to be awake in this life. Therefore, stay awake, Jesus says, verse 35, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, Stay awake. In closing, I have two points I want to make. One very theological and typological and one very practical. Here's the typological. Can you imagine, and, and we, don't, we know that he's speaking to the disciples, and we know that it's at least from the beginning of chapter 13, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So the holy three, the three within the 12, and I don't know how Andrew got involved. Peter's brother, maybe he was sneaking in. Jesus is talking at least to those four. He's telling them, of course, to stay awake. But can you imagine Peter, St. Peter, the one on whose gospel and whose life the church is built on as it points to Christ? Can you imagine Peter remembering these words of our Lord? Therefore, stay awake. He's talking to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at night or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. But he talks about that rooster crowing. Can you imagine St. Peter at that moment remembering what Jesus had told him when he had fallen asleep, when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane had gone off to pray? And beloved, we're all like that. We're all sinners. We've all fallen asleep. Some of you might be asleep literally right now. But here's the thing. St. Peter was redeemed, wasn't he? At a small little men's retreat with a couple of men here in this, this, uh, this church, we, we went to Minton, Alabama, and we talked about Peter's denial, but then Peter's reinstitution when Jesus says, do you love me? He said it three times. You and I have fallen asleep in life so often. We do it so often. God forgives us, and he's reminding us, you're my, you're, you're my son, my daughter. Stay awake, for the judgment is coming. So let me give you a few things in terms of staying awake this morning, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, before we close in prayer. The first is this. I want to read from James. I alluded to it earlier. But be doers of the word, James says, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who intently looks at his natural face in a mirror, and he goes away at once, forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing.
Beloved, part of staying awake is moving. It's doing. It's doing the Word of God. It's knowing it, and then it's enacting it in this life. Some of you are parents. Part of your staying awake is, is knowing, knowing what God says about children and how to raise them, how to love them. Some of you know that you are working with a coworker who respects you and loves you and appreciates your hospitality, your kindness, your insight into politics, insight into the world and all this, but you haven't brought up anything of, um, of real substance yet. That might be your way of staying awake, doing that. How many of you in this room have ever um, done something for God that you knew you were kind of called to do? Nothing, I don't, I'm not talking about some grandiose thing. I just mean like in a sliver of time, you obeyed God and you felt like for a moment, Lord God Almighty, I'm like, I'm alive, I'm awake to reality. Have, am I the only one that has experienced this? You experience being awake through doing what God has called us to do, to evangelize, to love, to submit, to forgive yourself, to forgive others, to live as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And here's the final hope, beloved. As children, Jesus will see us through to the end. You don't have to work your way to heaven. He's going to see you to the end through the judgment. Hear these words as I close from St. Paul in our epistle reading. Hear it this morning from 1 Corinthians 1, 6 through 19. I'm going to skip down here to the very end. I give thanks to God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Here it is. So that you, Cindy, Emma, Todd, Jennifer, Bob, Allison, Taylor, all of you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, it's there, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Beloved, let us start this new year awake. And let us commit as a church family to help each other Stay awake as we wait the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.